ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, The ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me will be Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify, and this will be fun. I have a full grab bag of topics for us to get into, including discussing last week's oral arguments in Grayscale's lawsuit against the SEC regarding converting their Grayscale Bitcoin trust into an ETF. You know I would never miss an opportunity to uh, talk about that. And we're going to find out what Tom thought uh, about the events of last week. I'll certainly uh, offer a few thoughts of my own as well. We'll also discuss uh, ETF flows so far this year, which I would say have been uh, rather muted overall, definitely below my expectations. So we'll look under the hood there. And I have a few other uh, ETF topics as well. Again, should be a lot of fun. I'll then be joined by Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Roundhill. And you may recall a few weeks ago, I noted that one of the uh, five biggest ETF stories I was watching was the pending launch of these Roundhill uh, big ETF. So these are uh, highly concentrated sector or subsector ETFs. They're non-diversified funds. They uh, hold swaps. I would say they definitely have some parallels to single stock ETFs, but I would argue they have much broader investor use cases. So Dave's going to preview uh, those ETFs, and then we'll also touch on <clears throat> several other Roundhill ETFs along with a, uh, a couple of recent ETF filings they've had. They've been uh, very busy lately. And then to close this week, I'll be joined by Tobin McDaniel, head of SoFi Invest, who currently offers eight ETFs, including two ETFs with zero expense ratios, zero fees. They also offer the SoFi Social 50 ETF, ticker SFYF, which holds the top 50 most widely held U.S. stocks, on SoFi Invest's uh, platform. It's a pretty interesting concept. They're essentially crowdsourcing the portfolio. So we'll get into that and uh, highlight a few other SoFi ETFs as well. As always, questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter, at Nate Geraci, or you can go to ETFprime.com. Let's chat with Vetify's Tom Lydon. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. This is a challenging time, probably the most challenging in 30 years. Coming out of the financial crisis, 600 billion in ETF assets. They're starting to understand that there's more opportunity outside of those major market indexes. Tom, thanks for joining me this week. How have you been? 
Good, Nate. Just a couple average few days we've had here. Pretty boring, right? <laughs> it's uh, it's unbelievable. Never a dull moment in the markets. And I guess let, let's just start there. I mean, obviously, the big news over the past several days has been the collapse and then the uh, bailout or whatever you want to call it of Silicon Valley Bank. And that particular situation, along with a few other recent bank failures we've seen, including uh, Silvergate and Signature, I think that's clearly rattled confidence in, I would say, primarily smaller uh, regional banks. Uh, so, so I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, do you have any quick thoughts on the situation? I know we're going to get into some other ETF topics, but you look at an ETF, say, like the Spider S&P Regional Banking ETF, ticker KRE, or the uh, iShares Regional Banks ETF, ticker IAT, those are both down you know, 20 20% plus over the past week. What, what do you make of the situation? Yeah, well, um, uh, when, you, when you translate it to ETFs, the great thing is they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Um, if you were buying individual issues and uh, you, you were looking at opportunities in Silicon Valley Bank, you're very disappointed. Um, we happened, personally, happened to bank at First Republic. I'll tell you, over the weekend, we were doing some wiring to uh, diversify a little bit. So uh, definitely on pins and needles. I'm sure you were watching Twitter over the weekend, too. The surprising thing is uh, it, it doesn't seem that their cash was managed properly. Obviously, they had a lot of deposits, uh, a lot of startup companies, a lot of venture companies that do uh, rounds of uh, raising capital. They put the money to work uh, at the bank or hopefully keep it safe. The bank then uh, bought longer-dated treasuries, and at the same time, we're seeing redemptions, which was not a good mixture. Uh, got them into a little bit of a bind. But when everything was said and done, here we are today, and you're looking at First Republic Bank, for example, uh, the stock back up to where it was a couple days ago. Uh, nice rebound. Also, those ETFs, those regional bank ETFs, basically made back what they gave back yesterday. So... Is this a non-event? Probably not. Uh, are we going to see more regulatory scrutiny in the banking area uh, as far as cash management? Probably. Uh, this is all probably a good thing. But the great thing, Nate, it, pertaining to ETFs, the ETF industry, again, did very, very well, even though we saw some individual stocks that were halted yesterday. Uh, there was no halt in any of the ETFs. And uh, liquidity was there, and they, they performed exactly the way they should have. No, I think all of that is well said. I know it's a little bit cliche, but we always say ETFs function as price discovery vehicles during situations like, like this. And that's exactly what we saw, uh, again, especially from those regional bank ETFs. I don't have much to add to what you said other than, you know, clearly the Fed and the Treasury, they came in. And like I said, whether you want to call it a bailout, a backstop, whatever, they injected some confidence. They made it clear that, you know, depositors would be made whole. But, uh, of course, equity holders and uh, unsecured debt holders, they, they could be wiped out. And you know, people may disagree with that, but that has offered some confidence uh, to the market. And so hopefully things do stabilize. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned Twitter. You saw a lot of people getting a real-time education as to how banking works. Uh, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I was a little bit surprised at just the lack of basic knowledge around banking. Yeah, and it, what's interesting, um, again, serving on a couple fund boards, I know the scrutiny, I know the risk management that's involved in the ETF space. Um, I, I think that we're going to see, as far as publicly traded companies, a little bit more scrutiny down the road, especially in the banking area. So th this is definitely uh, not a non-event. Uh, we're going to learn a lot from it. Um, I was a little concerned at one point uh, with... Schwab's stock being affected by it, too. Again, being in the Silicon Valley area, uh, a lot of startup companies that are investing in Schwab, having that contagion spill spilling over to the brokerage business, a little bit concerning. But again, a lot better uh, warm, fuzzy feeling today um, as we move on and we seem to be past this. All right. So prior to the uh, Silicon Valley bank blow up, the biggest story I was tracking last week, this, this is a, uh, you know, this headline's been completely surfaced over, but uh, this won't surprise you at all. It was these oral arguments and Grayscale's lawsuit against the SEC regarding 
converting their uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, ticker GBTC, into an ETF. And so there was this uh, panel of three independent judges that heard arguments from both sides. This was last uh, Tuesday. And I'll just tell you up front, Tom, I mean, I thought this was a very good day for Grayscale. I thought the hearing went very well in terms of Grayscale stating their case for a conversion. Uh, I also felt like the judges were asking the right questions, which which I was encouraged by. You you never know what you're going to get, but the judges were clearly well-versed and highly educated on this particular uh, situation. What did you make of all this? Yeah, I I, I think first, just uh, a caveat. As you know, uh, our Dave Nodig did a great article about this, and you're a betting man as well, setting the odds as far as grayscale versus the SEC. So I want to encourage everybody to go out and take a look at it. Um, The the great thing is uh, it's really clear that uh, the commission is not a big fan of cryptocurrency. Um, in fact, I think they somewhat regret the fact that they did approve some uh, crypto-related assets based on future strategy. I think if uh, Ginsler had to do it all over again, Nate, he probably wouldn't have done that, but he's already put one toe in the water, and it's tough to get that out. Um, at this point in time, um, what the arguments uh, did is bring forth the idea that uh, there is – there are responsible investors out there who are investing in this space. And when you look at the cryptocurrencies themselves, treating those cryptocurrencies are, are very similar in the way that you're going to uh, treat the futures market. So they made a strong case for being able to have that conversion, being able to provide the liquidity, which was very important, and the fact that they're was little chance for manipulation, which was the big reason for uh, the SEC having having trouble with this. Uh, what do you, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, to me, very simply, um, I do believe this case comes down to how intertwined you believe the spot Bitcoin market and the CME traded Bitcoin futures market uh, are. And from my perspective, I think the uh, SEC had a very difficult time trying to make the case that these two markets aren't tied at the hip, right? If there's fraud and manipulation in the spot market, that's going to impact the futures market. This, to me, Tom, it just doesn't seem like uh, rocket science. And so if the SEC is comfortable with futures-based Bitcoin ETFs, uh, they should also be comfortable with spot-based ETFs. And, And actually, let me play a quick clip for you. So this is Grayscale attorney Don Verrilli. He's essentially saying the same thing I am, but he starts here by talking... Uh, lead lag. So in other words, which market leads and in, in which market lags in terms of the spot market or the futures market? Just take a listen to this. This focus on lead lag is really a red herring. This is one takes a step back. There are really three possibilities. Lead, lead lag, if a market leads, it means that's where the price is set. And then the other market follows. So if the futures market is leading the spot market, then the surveillance here is going to pick up uh, any fraud or manipulation because the surveillance is of the futures market. If the spot market is leading the futures market, the surveillance is going to pick it up because the effects will show up for all the reasons that we talked about earlier. And if it's a you know arrow points both ways kind of situation where there isn't one consistent leader and one consistent lagger, same point. It's going to be picked up when it shows up. And I do think, getting to Judge Edwards, your question about what the data is, it's the, we already put the data in. It's the 99.9% correlation. It's the expert comments from experts in the field. Um, that's in there. And, and, I, and part of the reason that we suggest submit that this is an unreasoned order is that they just kind of went like this. They just shrugged at that. So, Tom, you hear him say there that the markets are 99.9% correlated. And so, again, fraud and manipulation in, in one will impact the other. And I just think the SEC is going to have a very difficult time arguing uh, otherwise. Now, you, you know, going back to, uh, to to your point in terms of odds, and yes, I recommend everybody check out Dave Nodick's piece. I thought that was fantastic. But, you know, what does this mean for the case? Who knows <laughs> when it comes to the SEC and, and judges? But I, I do think it's possible the court sides with grayscale. And then the SEC Sort of to your point, um, instead of approving a spot Bitcoin ETF, 
I could see them just forcing the delisting and closure of futures-based ETFs, and that may seem a little bit extreme. I, I do think that was one of the scenarios Dave had in his piece, but I just can't see them approving a spot Bitcoin ETF until they have regulatory oversight uh, of the spot crypto markets. They've been very clear on that. Uh, yeah. So I just wonder if maybe they come back and try to uh, you know, force the delisting of the futures ETFs. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head, uh, Nate. It, there, there needs to be um, more supervision uh, of this marketplace. And it's not as though the crypto uh, industry is against that. So uh, let's step up and figure out what's needed and provide a little bit more oversight. I think that uh, the industry would fall in line. Um, and to your point, as far as Grayscale's arguments, boy, uh, when you look at the best performing ETF so far year to date, it's all crypto related. So maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's uh, uh, a little bit of talk back in the back offices that we may be able to have some type of uh, agreement where both sides can get together, where we can agree on uh, oversight that is going to be more in line with uh, the regulatory rules that securities have to uh, abide by these days. And if, if we can live in that world, the end investor is better off and has more choices, right? No, I completely agree. And, and we can move on here. I know people have heard my Bitcoin ETF rant for uh, you know years now. I'll just say, I think some people hear my advocacy for a spot Bitcoin ETF and they come you know, waving the, the, the Bitcoin flag, saying Bitcoin's going to go to the moon, stuff like that. That's not the case. It's more along what you're saying in that um, investors, we know that some investors want exposure to Bitcoin. And they're going to get that exposure regardless of what I believe or you believe. And so why don't we give them a, a regulated vehicle, something that we know functions well, um, that tracks the, the, the price of the underlying asset well, you know, that being the ETF. Why not make that available? Plus, I would argue from the uh, SEC's perspective that if we had a spot Bitcoin F, uh, ETF, that's really going to shine the light on those underlying crypto exchanges, which I think is what they want. You know, authorized participants, they're no spring chickens, right? They, they don't, they're not, they're not the, the type of, uh, of, of people to get run over. They're going to put uh, a, a, a big spotlight on those crypto exchanges. They're going to comb over those things with a fine-tooth comb because they're not going to get ripped off. And so, no, I, well, I, go ahead. Yeah, you're right. I mean, especially with what we've been through in the banking industry just in the last few days, more than ever, there's going to be scrutiny. There's going to have to be scrutiny in, in those areas, Nate. So, uh, look, I, I think in the end, we're all on the same team. We're on what's best for the investors. And it's going to be interesting to see where this all falls out. Yeah, I can't wait. It sounds like we may get a decision, if I remember correctly, in, in the third quarter. So uh, so we'll keep watching that. Um, okay, with our remaining time, uh, I want to move on and talk ETF flow so far this year. And I mentioned this to uh, Todd Rosenbluth on the podcast last week. So my prediction of a trillion dollars of inflows this year is not looking so good right now. Though we do have we have a long way to go, right? It's only uh, it's only March, but it's going to take some real work. Just high level, what are you seeing out of uh, ETF flow so far this year? Yeah, the, the fact that there's actually negative flows in U.S. equity ETFs year to date doesn't bode well. I mean, we're we're just uh, a couple weeks away from the end of the first quarter. Um, that's a little scary. Forty six. Uh, billion dollars overall uh, year to date isn't that much, especially coming on uh, off of a year where we had 600 billion in flows. The interesting thing I would say, Nate, is uh, seeing almost 30 billion dollars into international equities. I mean, we know from valuation standpoint that uh, is especially some of these countries that have been really beat up over the last five years, even emerging markets that have underperformed the U.S., the pendulum may be swinging a little bit there. Well, we know from a valuation standpoint, in many of those countries, you can get uh, prices 40% off what you're paying in the U.S. So that's all positive. Uh, I also would say um, we are seeing from the advisor community and the data is showing that uh, the, they believe the Fed's doing its job, um, especially when you look at inflationary numbers today, somewhat positive as well. Not to say that advisors are top-ticking the fixed income market, but 
it may be in six to 12 months from now, you may not have yields uh, in the marketplace that you might have today. So some are going longer maturity, some are going a little bit riskier out there to be able to lock in to some of those uh, yields that you're seeing today. And we're seeing that in ETF flows. Yeah, you hit on all of the things that jumped out to me. So international ETFs, I've talked a little bit about this over the past couple of months, clearly the standout in terms of ETF flows. Um, Fixed income ETFs, especially if you look at like high quality uh, treasury related ETFs, those are doing very well. U.S. equity flows do surprise me a little bit only because we had such a great start to the year. I know obviously we've had a pullback here more recently, but the S&P 500 is still up a couple of points on the year. And so it's interesting seeing the weakness there. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, Tom, but one one other area that I flagged, and this is something that you and I often talk about, is uh, ARK ETFs. And I was looking, so the ARK Innovation ETF, ticker ARKK, that thing is up nearly 30% since the last week of December. If you go run that thing on a chart since the last week of December, 30% versus only 2% for the S&P 500. Yet if you look at flows, they've been negative, which is the opposite of what we saw last year, right? When ARKK was down, what, 65 70%, but the ETF actually took in money. I, I'm just curious. I know this is uh, an area that, that you certainly pay attention to. Why do you think... There's not more interest around ARKK this year, or really the ARK ETF suite as a whole. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, almost $500 million um, in outflows in the last three months, when the one-year number is $114 million in inflows. So um, I, I think that's interesting. And to your point, as far as coming off those lows in October, Nate, there were a lot of people that were bottom fishing. We saw... Uh, in the fall, a lot of money coming in from a speculative, uh, speculation standpoint, um, really important. And then the market kind of died off a bit. We saw the market pull back. We saw specific ARC-related stocks pull back. Might just be some short-term trading. Um, it, it has been a little bit of a, a tougher market there. This is going to be a longer-term story. Uh, Kathy Wood and ARC and the, the, the stocks that they play in, are not going away, uh, but we're not necessarily going to see them being um, the fair-haired child that they were in the past. It's going to take a long time for that to come back, and it's going to have to be confidence in the market. Investors today, with these inflationary numbers, uh, things that uh, we saw this past weekend in the banking system, there's still not a high confidence level. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to see a lot more confidence before we see the flows that we've seen in the past. Yeah, confidence is the perfect word, uh, because I think the ARK ETF suite as a whole, it's a good sentiment indicator. And so if that confidence is there, you're going to see flows into the ETFs. And as a matter of fact, I did see uh, just before you came on the podcast, there was a Bloomberg headline that uh, ARKK took in its biggest one-day inflow since like 2021. <laughs> I think that was yesterday. So maybe yeah. sentiment is changing. We'll see. Um, Tom, just a couple of minutes left here. Uh, sort of on the topic of flows, we had a pretty big milestone in ETFs last week, which I, I'd love to just briefly get your perspective on. And that was Vanguard hitting $2 trillion in ETF assets. You, you know, nobody has taken in new money like Vanguard ETFs, I, I would say they're an absolute vacuum cleaner for investor dollars. Any quick thoughts on that milestone? The Hoover of the ETF industry. For right? sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, they are just rock solid. They're just steady. Uh, they have so many choices. They do a wonderful job. They're low cost uh, and, and always very, very dependable. They deserve this. And it's just another credit to the, to the ETF industry as well. I mean, look, not always exciting, but it's slow and steady that, that wins the race. I mean, you and I are not going to spend tons of time all, uh, talking about Vanguard and all the accolades that they deserve. But, uh, boy, uh, I know you and I would have loved to have been a part of that. I remember starting ETF Trends in 2005, uh, watching the development of Vanguard and what they were doing. When everything else seemed to be so exciting, they were just somewhat plain vanilla, but that's what people want. And those people that have invested in Vanguard over time, 
um, have done very, very well for themselves. So, you know, again, hats off to Vanguard and, and what they're doing. They've served a lot of people very, very well. And looking forward to uh, raises our, raising our glasses, I guess, when they get to $3 trillion, right, Nate? Yeah, and to your point, you know, people don't get real excited about uh, a, a Hoover, about a, a really nice vacuom cleaner, but but it works very well. So <laughs> it's sort of like Vanguard. And I probably shouldn't be out here making uh, any predictions, given how my uh, 2023 TF predictions are looking so far. But, you know, Vanguard could track down iShares here in the not-too-distant future. I believe they're only, I, I, I use air quotes, only around $250 billion behind iShares. That, that may sound like a lot, but if you look at the, the past several years, Vanguard's been closing pretty quickly. And so I think that'll be something yeah. to watch moving forward. One other thing, by the way, a little Vanguard tidbit I thought I'd uh, throw out there. They actually launched the new ETF last week, which you don't see often. This was their uh, first ETF launch since April of 2021. If you look back over the past decade or so, you know they don't they don't have any, many launches, maybe one or two a year, if that. But they launched the Vanguard Short Term Tax Exempt Bond ETF, ticker VTES, obviously holding uh, shorter term muni bonds. And in typical Vanguard fashion, Tom, seven basis points on the fee. So I'm sure this one will quickly uh, vacuum up investor dollars as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it'll be interesting, Nate, uh, as we are, we're seeing active come back and we're seeing a lot of flows in the active space in the ETF area where they tend to be more indexed oriented. I wouldn't be surprised to see them offer up uh, more active strategies as well. Uh, there, there's definitely some demand there. So we'll have to sit back and watch. Well, Tom, excellent stuff as always. Uh, love chatting with you, uh, you know, every month now. So thank you for joining me. Thank you, Nate. That was Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify. How can investors access innovative companies? One way is through Invesco's Innovation Suite. It offers access to the world's most groundbreaking companies that have demonstrated a strong commitment to innovation through research and development, including patents. Invesco offers a variety of options across all sizes and types of innovative companies. Explore the possibilities at Invesco.com slash Innovation Suite. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus with this information. Read it carefully before investing. Risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Invesco Distributors, Inc. is Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Roundhill, who currently offers seven ETFs, over $600 million in ETF assets. And they have a very unique uh, suite of ETFs that is expected to launch soon. Uh, Dave is now on the line with me. Uh, Dave, great having you back on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. All right, so let's jump right in here. Uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, I mentioned that one of the five ETF stories that uh, I, I was watching, a story that really has me intrigued, is the pending launch of these Round Hill big ETFs, which I would describe as offering uh, highly concentrated exposure to specific sectors or uh, subsectors, so airlines, defense, uh, tech, banks, those sorts of areas. And my understanding is these ETFs are set to launch uh, any day now. What can you tell us about these? Yeah, sure. And thanks for uh, flagging these particular ETFs. We're, we're really excited about this innovation. Uh, and, and simply put, um, the idea behind the big ETFs is to address some of the challenges that we've heard, and, and particularly I've heard over the years uh, with sector and industry ETFs, in that they offer the precision that many ETFs do, but, but oftentimes they can be diluted because you might just want exposure to the top five or, or six names in a particular industry, and then you end up with everything else, right? So think about the banking sector right now. Um, you know, really many of the issues are concentrated in, the small, in some smaller regional banks as opposed to the big banks. So um, the idea behind these is to really 
um, address that problem and then give give folks the precision um, that they want to be able to express their views. And we don't have to get uh, too far in the weeds, but, you know, I always like to focus on ETF education. And certainly upon launch, investors should should crawl into the uh, prospectus, make sure they understand how these ETFs work. But can you just explain the basic construction here? I know these are considered non-diversified funds. They do hold derivatives. How, how will these actually obtain their exposure? Yeah, no, and I think um, that's a perfect uh, statement that you made. We, we really advocate all investors to know what they own, right? Understand how the fund's going to be structured and what the actual exposure you get. Now, for, for funds of this nature, whether we're talking about the technology sector, airlines, banks, in the case of the banks, they're, they're really going to be concentrated. So, that, so that's why they're not diversified. It's the five or, or six names or so that, that are the leaders uh, in a particular sector and industry. And the way we gain, we're going to gain that exposure is with a combination of the actual equities themselves and then um, some swaps that, that, that represent that. And that, the term swap might be new to folks or, or raise some questions, but really um, it's a means of, of gaining additional exposure uh, in an inefficient way where, where you otherwise may, may not be able to. Um, because these are non-diversified, um, the using, introducing the swaps with the individual equities um, allows us to, to, to balance some of those um, uh, regulatory requirements and um, implement the exposure that folks are looking for. Besides just the concentration, and I guess the uh, potential counterparty risk with these swaps, but th- that should be minimal. Are there any other potential risks here in, in terms of the uh, actual construction of these products? You know, like I think about leverage products, you have decay uh, with single stock ETFs. Obviously, you have that single company risk. Are there any other potential risks here in terms of construction? I, I would say the beauty here is even though we're, t- we're taking advantage of some instruments that have primarily been used by um, uh, uh, leverage universe ETFs, particularly swaps or certain fixed income products, they, they're, they're structured just like any other ETF. Um, so on, on any day, you can, you can see what you own. Um, you can go on our website and, and see if anything's changed. Now, these funds in particular are designed to be um, reconstituted on an annual basis, rebalanced um, on a quarterly basis back to that uh, equal weight of, of, of the five or six names, what have you. So um, really all the benefits that folks um, think about with a particular ETF um, come, come with this. And as long as you're comfortable that, yeah, your exposure is going to be more concentrated, it doesn't necessarily mean riskier, because in certain cases maybe some of the smaller companies are, are riskier. Think about the, the tech space, whatever your fundamental opinion is, um, on mega cap tech, we know that their balance sheets and earnings quality is a lot healthier than some of the non-profitable names in the space that, that have been under the most pressure. So these are really, again, they're tools for, for investors to express a, a precise view, for traders to take that view. Um, and that's why we're really excited about them. Yeah. And in terms of those use cases, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I mean, I do see a variety of use cases here. You mentioned traders. Certainly that could be an audience. But also I could see a scenario with longer term investors where perhaps they have that core exposure in their portfolio nailed down and they want to you know, make a few satellite bets or plays or, or have some satellite exposure on the uh, edges. You know, they could certainly look to to a more highly concentrated sector or subsector exposure. Is that what you think about it in terms of the audience? I mean, it could be both here, traders and longer-term investors? No, 100%. So I think, I think you raise a great example. You know, let's say that I am I'm a long-term investor, but I, but I like to maybe make some tactical moves at the edges. Um, so I have, a, you know, a bit of a set-it-and-forget-it portfolio. I'm doing the right thing, using all low-cost ETFs, getting that balanced portfolio to meet whatever risk uh, per- perspective I may have in mind. But I want to make some views on top of it. The worst thing I think that can often happen, and it's happened to me, is when you go out to look to take that view, and let's say, hey, I'm, I'm getting bullish on banks or I'm getting bullish on airlines, and I, and I want to have a view for 6 to 12 months or, or any time period, but it turns out I'm just getting all the same exposure. Um, and maybe this is particularly acute with, with the tech and banking space. Um, you know, uh, Or maybe I own Berkshire Hathaway and I find out that it's 15% of the, the ETF that I, that I want to own to express a view on banks themselves. So the, the, the impurity, the diluted nature of certain sector and industries, um, I think, uh, can, can, be, can be really um, uh, addressed, if you will, with, with this big structure. Well, I'm excited to, uh, to watch the launch of these. I, again, I think because there are some differing use cases, 
these these are, are highly likely to find an audience. I know the single stock ETF market overall it's been off to a slow start outside of a few specific names but uh th these will be fun to watch dave so uh, uh we'll, we'll all keep our eyes out for uh, for these now you mentioned making some moves uh around the edges with well, a remaining time i have to ask you about a few other round hill etfs uh, or even potential etfs you guys have been very busy and i'll tell you when i think about round hill i i think thematics right you offer the Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF, ticker uh, METV, which I won't ask you about the ticker history there. Uh, ETF nerds know <laughs> there's, a, there's a fun story there. Uh, you also have a video game ETF, a uh, digital infrastructure ETF, a cannabis ETF. But look, March Madness begins today, actually, uh, with the first four. And I think you know the NCAA tournament is my favorite sporting event by far. I, I, I look forward to this every year. Uh, Thursday and Friday this week are essentially a national holiday uh, for me, I think for a lot of other people as well. But I have to ask you about the Round Hill Sports Betting and Gaming ETF, ticker BETS, V-E-T-Z. Sports betting is now legal where I'm at. And if you can believe this, Dave, my wife actually has a DraftKings account. Now, wow. I, I never thought I would see the day. A couple of weeks ago, she was betting on uh, UFC. I, I I just couldn't believe it. But I'm looking forward to putting a few small wagers down this weekend. I, I'm just curious, how has this ETF been uh, doing? I know it's your second largest ETF. Anything uh, new happening in this space? Well, it's really interesting. So I, I often think of sports betting or particularly investing in the names associated with it, um, or, or especially online sports betting. It, it can be episodic. And you know, whether that's the Super Bowl, the Masters, or also, you know, one of my favorite sporting events, March Madness, um, is, uh, uh, is centered around that. But what's fascinating to me now is that 25 states, with Massachusetts coming online last, last week, um, have um, uh, legal online sports betting. So um, about 45% of the U.S. population um, or, uh, is covered by, um, uh, uh, has the ability to do legal sports betting. And so that sort of ubiquitousness of which once was just maybe a handful of states on the margin um, is now is now kind of coming to fruition. So the companies that are powering that, whether it's it's a DraftKings, a, F a FanDuel, um, and and and, uh, and many others, um, or who are partnering with sportsbooks um, along with casinos, are really powering this. And I think of you know the best ETF as, as a great way for people to to not just maybe be relying on on if those picks work out. But to, to have ownership in the companies empowering it. And I think that's, you know, that's a really cool thing. Maybe it's a bit of a kind of the, the old, uh, I grew up in Boston, so maybe the old Peter Lynch um, perspective in me sort of, you know, own things that you're interested in. But that's, to me, a great example of that. No, and I was looking at uh, performance this morning, and with the usual disclaimers around performance, people do your own homework, the CTF uh, is up 7% year-to-date, again, versus 2% on the S&P 500. And by the way, I should have mentioned, I, I noted I think of thematic ETFs when I think of Roundhill. You do also offer a, a deep value ETF along with a meme stock e ETF. But um, Dave, just a few minutes left here. I'm not sure how much you can speak to these, but I, I noted Roundhill has been very busy with ETF filing. So we, we obviously talked about the uh, big ETFs that should launch soon. But I saw you recently filed for a global luxury ETF. Uh, I believe the ticker symbol will be LUX, L-U-X-X. -X. And then also a, a generative AI and technology ETF, ticker CHAT, uh, C-H-A-T. Can you tell us anything about those two uh, forthcoming ETFs? Yeah, as you know, not so much uh, I can reveal, but it's, I think it's worth noting is that, you know, as, as you say, um, you know, Roundhill's really focused on creating innovative solutions for, uh, for ETF investors. And, and look, uh, I think every uh, ETF firm or, or financial services firm says that, but as you just went through our current lineup and then filing for generative AI and, and global luxury stocks, we're, we're really living and breathing it. And, and we're, we're looking to offer ETF solutions whether it's, it's the bigs that can be used by, by more long-term investors, whether it's thematic, uh, the thematic funds that investors can, can tap into some disruption or innovation happening, um, or just, just good, good ideas along the way, we, we want to offer those to, to, to investors. And I really encourage folks, take a look at our website. Um, we have a, a pretty deep research section um, offering insights in, into these areas. So, you know, oftentimes it feels nebulous when we're talking about uh, online sports betting, or particularly the metaverse, 
But, um, you know, we have some research to back it up. And for folks that are either dabbling into it or, or, or want to dive in to see what's really happening behind all the headlines, um, you know, we have, we have uh, blogs, articles, and, and charts for people to peruse. Well, Dave, always enjoy catching up. Uh, congratulations on the move uh, over to Round Hill, by the way. You're one of the best in the ETF business. I love everything that you and, and the team are building over there at Round Hill. Such a great ETF success story. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. That was Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Round Hill. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. I'm now joined by Tobin McDaniel, head of SoFi Invest, who currently offers eight ETFs, over $500 million in assets. Uh, Tobin is now on the line with me from San Francisco. Tobin, welcome to the uh, podcast. Great to connect. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. All right, so let's start uh, a bit more broadly, and then we'll certainly drill down into some specific ETFs. Uh, you, you do have several ETFs, I think, investors may find intriguing, but uh, just talk generally about how you're approaching building out the ETF suite overall, because I think a lot of investors are certainly familiar with the SoFi brand, but not as many may be aware of your ETF presence. So talk about how you're approaching the space. Absolutely. You know, starting just at the SoFi brand briefly, you know, at SoFi, our goal is to be a top 10 financial institution. And that means having all the products, services someone needs, lending, checking, savings, financial planning, investing, and, and asset management. Uh, ETFs, though, an important part of this. We launched our first ETF in 2019 with the goal of providing low-cost building blocks for portfolios for our customers who we call members, and you'll hear me use the, the word member, uh, as well as investors in general. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, we have over, we have 80 ETFs with over 500 million in assets. We've added uh, two funds each year and really into two groups. One, kind of core building blocks for portfolios, so equity and income funds that, that our investors uh, and other investors build around. And you know, increasingly thematic funds, which we believe appeal to our members' interest to be early adopters and investors and in trends that, that, you know, will grow in the future. We look specifically at what they're investing in, what they're interested in, and, 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 and think about funds that could, could fill that space. So, you know, core holdings, we have a large cap and a mid-cap and two income funds. And then in thematics, uh, we've got... Uh, BYOB, which is gig economy oriented, uh, Energy, which is a clean tech fund, uh, T-Web, which is a Web3 focused fund we launched last year, as well as our Social 50, which, which we can talk more about later, hopefully. So, uh, you know, as we think about growing SoFi as a whole, having the right products for people to invest in is a necessity, and our ETF suite, I think, is aims to make, you know, investing simple, um, and, you know, a great place for people starting out or, or, or veterans as well. So that's how we're, how we're thinking about uh, our, our product line. Well, let's look at a few of those uh, SoFi ETFs, and perhaps we can uh, jump around, look at both some of the core building blocks that you offer as well as uh, the thematic funds. And you mentioned the, uh, the SoFi Social 50 ETF. I think we actually have to start with that one. The ticker on that is SFYF. Uh, I, I love the concept behind this. Do you want to explain uh, how this ETF is constructed? Yeah, I love this one, too. I love this one uh, as, as the, just, just like you do. So this one tracks the Social 50 Index. That is the 50 most widely held U.S. listed stocks of our members. Uh, it's a pulse on the retail investor. Uh, and we reweight it every month based on how our members' investments uh, end at the end the prior month. 
reweight and rebounce every single month. Uh, I think of it as you know a, the first you know crowdsourced ETF on the marketplace. Uh, we know our members and investors at large are in, interested in investing in the companies that their peers do. Uh, we have a social feature on our app where people just you know follow others and what others are investing. We certainly know how much. Uh, social and investing has become, uh, you know, uh, something that a lot of people spend time on in the last few years. And so here's a fund that lets you do exactly that. You, you track what our members are doing. And, you know, some of the biggest holdings in the fund right now include tech favorites like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla. But it also has Berkshire Hathaway, Disney, and Ford, as well as some smaller, smaller companies that, that maybe don't rise up in, in bigger index funds. You know, the one thing I really like doing with this one is watching what moves up and down every month or, or over the course of a quarter. It is that real pulse check on what investors are doing. And, you know, I think a couple things interesting stand out over the last, you know, quarter or so. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway has really been a big gainer uh, in, in, in ranking in the fund. Uh, as, you know, I interpret they, that as investors looking for stability. Um, but Netflix has also grown as well, so people buying something that was maybe oversold. Uh, things that have dropped recently, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, um, with I guess perhaps the, the, the vaccine and pandemic trade um, becoming less appealing to our investor base. And then things, uh, uh, some things like Coinbase, which you might expect given the, the, the massive uh, cooldown in the crypto market and decline in their stock price. So I really enjoy, you know, not just you know investing in it, but watching how the the holdings change and the weightings change, you know, month to month and quarter to quarter to just get that feel of what people are investing in overall. Yeah, to me, this ETF really captures the essence of of who SoFi is, and and certainly uh, your clientele. And I, I thought crowdsourced ETF is the perfect way to describe this. And like you, I'm always interested in in just tracking holdings to see what moves in and out uh, of the uh, fund. Pretty interesting. Um, okay, another ETF that uh, certainly caught my attention just because I track the ESG ETF space pretty closely is the SoFi Smart energy ETF, the one you mentioned previously, ticker energy, E-N-R-G. And look, as I'm sure you're aware, clean tech was a big story in 2021, had significant outperformance. But then we saw a pullback last year, right? It was a tough year for the space. I'd love to have you just talk a little bit more about this ETF and perhaps what you see as the broad outlook for clean tech moving forward. It yeah, so, so I'll share a little bit about the ETF and, and then speak more, more broadly. It's, it's our first clean tech ETF. Um, provides exposure to innovative tech-forward companies who contribute to energy production and storage at the point of consumption. Think about solar panel, panels and battery charging at your home. It tracks the iClima Distributed Renewable Index. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, really interesting because you know there's lots of lots of commentary on the ESG space. A couple of things we really like about this one, this one, and this index, uh, it targets uh, distributed energy, a market that's expected to grow significantly, doubling over the next four years. Uh, this is a fund that we don't believe participates in greenwashing. It excludes companies that produce carbon emissions. And the index methodology prioritizes companies based on revenue generated in this distributed energy space. So, you know, more revenue translates to more impact, if that's where your passion is, and, and hopefully more growth. Uh, I, I really am impressed with the team at iClima and the research they do um, in, in focusing on companies that, you know, have a, a moving, shifting the focus from emission reduction to companies that are enabling CO2 avoidance. And if, if you believe this is a big trend, and, and uh, I'm certainly hopeful and optimistic it is, uh, both as an investor and, and you know, for the climate, uh, this is a, a, a fantastic way to, to play that trend. And, and you're right, last year was, was a, a challenging year uh, in the space, but it's, it's, you know, long, as a long-term trend, it's one I'm optimistic for, and, and we've seen, you know, nice early AUM growth in this fund as, as investors come to it. 
Well, you mentioned how there's been a, a lot of commentary around ESG. As you may or may not be aware, I have been one of those people offering that commentary. Uh, just as a whole, I, I'm I'm not bullish on ESG ETFs. However, I do think that more thematic uh, ESG ETFs such as this one have a much better uh, chance and, and path to success. So I, I think this is certainly an ETF to keep an eye on. Um, okay, two other ETFs that I have to ask you about, Tobin, are your uh, flagship ETF, your most popular ETF. That's the SoFi Select 500 ETF, ticker SFY, and then the SoFi Next 500 ETF, ticker SFYX. And what's uh, interesting about both of these is they currently have a zero expense ratio. There's no fee on these ETFs. And certainly both could be considered uh, core holdings in, in a portfolio. Talk about these uh, two ETFs, especially on the fee side. Yeah, and the, the, these are, we believe, both core holdings in a portfolio. Uh, the, the first fund we introduced, and we in, introduced with that fee waiver, as a way for our, our, our members to, to get, get their money right, which is our, our saying around here. You know, the, the one thing you can control in investing is fees. Uh, I get fees and diversification, and these deliver both. Um, each are growth-oriented index funds. Uh, the select is a large cap, and the next is a mid-cap, uh, following a selective growth index. Uh, and you know, we believe they are those core holdings. Um, we have waived the fees on these funds um, since we've launched them to make investing affordable and allow people to hold more, more of their gains. Uh, the fees are, fees are waived on an annual basis. We can only do it for a single year at a time, but we have no plans to change it. Uh, they've been great funds for us, um, you know, bringing investors in. Uh, uh, helping our members get this core portfolio holding and, and bringing them to SoFi. So, um, you know, we've, we've waived these fees and, and have no plans to change it, um, you know, in, in the near future or in the, in the future, in, in the next annual cycle. <laughs> Tobin, just a couple minutes left here. Uh, moving forward, what might investors expect from SoFi ETF? So you talked at the top about essentially listening to your customers and, and understanding what's appealing to them. What might we see moving forward? You know, we don't have anything new to share yet on our, our plans for 2023, but we continue to um, research and look at the trends of our investor base uh, and, and try to identify unpopulated or, or less crowded spaces in the thematic marketplace where we think we can offer a fund that will be appealing to the broad market, but particularly appealing to, to our members. And so, uh, you know, we, no plans to announce yet, but uh, when we do have something to announce, I, I, I suspect it'll be, be in kind of tick that box of an interesting theme that should align with a, a, a growth trend that if you believe in, you want to invest in, and particularly appealing to our, our customer base. Well, Tobin, uh, really enjoyed the conversation this week. Uh, best of luck to you as you continue to build out your ETF suite. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you. That was Tobin McDaniel, head of SoFi Invest. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, Invesco QQQ ETF. If you would like to learn more about Invesco QQQ, you can visit www.invesco.com QQQ. Next week, really excited about this. I'll be joined by Matt Tuttle, CEO and CIO of Tuttle Capital Management, who is behind the recently launched Jim Cramer ETF. So the inverse Cramer tracker ETF and the long Cramer tracker ETF. We're going to go into quite a bit of detail on both of those and also discuss uh, some of the backstory here as well. Until then, have a great week, everyone.